This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. The attack at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School recently has many Americans discussing how we stop school shootings like that one and the ones that we have seen in the years before. Part of the conversation surrounds guns and gun laws. And when that part of the conversation comes forward, the path of Australia invariably comes up. Back in 1996, 35 people were killed by a gunman in that country with an AR-15. After that, the country enacted strong legislation around guns. Since then, the question of how effective those rules and laws have been has been one that has been researched, including recently by people here at the University of Pennsylvania. Ben Uckert, Uckert excuse me, and Elena Andreeva are both uh, postdoctoral researchers at the Leonard Davis Institute for Health Economics and Injury Science Center at the Perelman School of Medicine. They have taken a look at some of the data and are here to tell us their findings. Great meeting you both. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for inviting. So I, I guess the, the idea to look at this in part obviously is driven by what we saw uh, in, in Florida. But I guess from a historical perspective, what were you – take us into the data that you were looking at and the impact you potentially think that, that this research could have. Um, we're looking at the national level gun uh, homicides, suicides, and the overall total level of uh, firearm-related mortalities. And what we've done is look at the time frame between uh, 1979 and 2013. And looking at the time trends, you're trying to understand, in essence, what did this law do? Did it uh, abruptly change the level and and total count um, of firearm mortality after the law was introduced. Um, so there are some tricky parts to it where you uh, have to think about how to estimate this based on some statisticians uh, or statistical issues. Um, and, but overall, it looks like there was a big drop in uh, firearm mortality after the law was introduced in 1996. And so this data is coming from the Australian government, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah. So it's the Australian uh, Statistical Department where they collect data on um, homicides, mortality in general, total mortality, firearm mortality. Also, they collect some demographic and socioeconomic information on the population of Australia. Now, the, the concern, obviously, after what happened in 1996, uh, when uh, this incident happened, uh, surrounded the use of the AR-15. But mm -hmm. we're talking about overall firearm use in Australia over that large period of time, correct? Correct. Yes. So the law had um, a few aspects to it. So it didn't just concentrate on the long arms, semi-automatic weapons. Right. It also concentrated, it also, um, through the buyback program, encouraged people to sell all types of firearms they might have owned, not just the long arms, but also the handguns. And it also significantly strengthened the requirements for owning a gun. So you had to pass a quite extensive background check. You had to um, provide a reason. Why would you want to own a gun? Right. And the self-protection was actually specifically excluded. So you couldn't say, I want to protect my house and that's why I need a gun. So yes, it was quite involved, the law. And, and from reading up on this, I, I mean, when this law was being brought forth, the idea of it, uh, there was widespread support. Uh, from what I understand, in Australia for doing some sort of change to the law. 
uh, because of the impact of, of what this what this disaster had uh, 22 years ago, correct? That is correct. So um, immediately after the attack happened, the government came together at the, at the national level with the prime minister um, to think about ways that they could stop uh, any kind of um, massacres happening across Australia. Um, and that happened within a reasonable time frame. I would say within like 30 to 60 days, they already had a rough plan at outlining what they think they should think pass. Um, and, you know, even though there was broad consent, there was some um, opposition to this as well, more from some state governments and the, the legislature. So what is the law in Australia right now in terms of gun ownership? You mentioned about the waiting period. I think mm. it's like 28 days Correct. that you have to wait to be able to get a gun. What are the other pieces to the rule right now? Um, so you can't uh, the all the long arms and semi-automatic weapons They're are banned yeah. completely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can own certain um, handguns, but again, you had to provide a valid reason for owning it. You have to pass background checks. You have to um, pass through. Um, you have to show that you know how to securely store and operate your gun, and so on. Um, there is no manufacturing. And no import of long arms, the semi-automatic weapons that is also allowed in Australia. Right. So it is quite limited to the short so I think guns. Just to jump in here, what Elena is trying to get at, not only were there like large regulations, but it was hard to actually attain guns um, or semi-automatic weapons from other means on the on the black market, for example. If right. you're still interested in them. Um, specifically because not only uh, were there bans or the bans and the regulations on them, but also there were no real gun manufacturers producing those guns in Australia. And then I guess the third component that kind of comes into this is the geographic location of Australia. Sure. Right? Um, so there's no across-the-border smuggling to that degree, right? You right. have to ship them in, and which is which might be much more costly on the on the on the, I guess, the, the group who wants to bring them to the country. So uh, in terms of the, the decline mm -hmm. from the data that you saw, how significant of a decline are we talking about here? Uh, so what we saw is roughly a 60% reduction in firearm-related mortality um, in a recent study that we've been conducting. Right. And um, lar very large effects have actually been, been seen uh, in this firearm suicide rate. Um, so not only did this, uh, the intended goal, which might have been much more on the homicide end, right, yeah. uh, had very big effects on the on the on, on the suicide. Well, and that's an important component yeah. to it is the fact that uh, obviously a lot of people think about the murder rate mm -hmm. and that level, but it's also the suicide part of it of people yeah. taking their own lives as well. Exactly. And again, and finally, Australia didn't have any mass shootings happening since the introduction of the of the law. Uh, we're talking uh, on. Uh, we're talking in studio with Ben Uckert, who is uh, a postdoctoral researcher here at the University of Pennsylvania, and also Elena Andreva. Uh, your comments welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio one eleven or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney twenty one. So, what is the expectation uh, of the impact that this has had, and bringing this data forward here? To the United States, because obviously we're at a time where we have a, a a very divided view on gun legislation and the use of guns in this country. What do you think we, you can bring forward with this type of research? I think um, on the one hand, it's important, I guess, uh, to think about what kind of components Australia actually enacted in terms of regulations. 
and that it was not just, for example, they just banned the semi-automatics. It was a comprehensive view on uh, on the dangers uh, or the potential dangers of firearms. Um, and so I would say an important part is to put this in context of what the what has been currently going on and being discussed in the U.S., which is quite different uh, than what Australia even proposed. So the question remains that we actually don't know anything about is which of the three components that we mentioned earlier are actually the most effective to to address the the firearm uh, mortality or the, the the part of the massacres most. Um, so. It's it's a little bit up in there, and more research is actually needed to to identify really what are the components that are the most important. Is it enough to just ban semi-automatics? Maybe there's the regulations play a really important part. For example, the 28-day waiting yeah. period. Um, um, so it's to some degree still unknown. But overall, we at least know that if somebody would enact all three components there is a likelihood that you see effects in terms of firearm mortality. And it also depends on um, which firearm deaths can be affected by which parts of the law. So when it comes to when we saw the biggest increase, biggest drop in the firearm suicides, uh, one could tell a story that that maybe came from the 28-day uh, day waiting period. Right. Because again, if I feel like committing suicide and I go to the store to buy a gun, and I'm told that I have to wait 28 days before I can get it, well, I might change my mind or either go to different means right. or change my mind completely in those four weeks. But the the, the other part to that, is, which is interesting, is because a lot of the conversation here in the U.S. has obviously been around guns, but it's also been around uh, mental health and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and what... Uh, uh, police can do in these situations as well. So there's a component of that mm-hmm. as well in just what you said. If you're talking about somebody that's thinking about taking their life, they may in that period of time have been able to get help and that has prevented mm-hmm. themselves, uh, prevented them from taking their own life. Right. And I think that can be applied to some other crimes of passion, as we would call them. So it might not necessarily be a suicide, but it might be, you know, a fight with your friend or relative and if it's not as easy to get gone, the fight might not end tragically as what we sometimes hear on the news when those things end quite tragically. So what has been the impact on the homicide rate? I mean, we talked about suicides, but what's been the, the impact on that part of it? Because that is, I think, unfortunately, considered more of the norm mm-hmm. that people deal with on a, on a week-to-week basis. Yeah. So we saw a slightly larger drop, actually, in, in, hom- in the homicide firearm homicides, uh, between 60 and 80 percent. Um, so that depends uh, on a few things. Uh, on the one hand, the paper that we published shows a little bit smaller effects. On the other hand, the new paper that we have shows a little bit larger effects. Um, but overall, um, it's promising that um, we see drops in homicides related to firearms, which was the intended goal to change. Um, but, you know, I'd always the question, the next question that we're tackling actually right now um, is, whether it's actually affected the total homicide rate right. as well, right? So, for example, a big argument is always, uh, in, I guess, in, in the media is, well, if you don't have a gun, you just use other means to sure. to do yep. it, right? Um, and um, so what we've seen there is um, that there is some evidence of reductions in the on the homicide, total homicide rate as well, but just not as large. You are both uh, from, well, Ben, you're from mm-hmm. Germany, and Lenny, you're from Russia. Correct. Uh, and I was reading an article where you both were commenting on how different the culture is here in mm-hmm. the United States surrounding guns to both of your homelands, correct? Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. How so? How different is it? Um, well, 
in Russia, it's it's a little tricky because obviously there is quite a large black market for firearms. Right. Uh, when it comes to legal ownership of firearms, it is quite restricted. So you do have to show a genuine reason for owning a gun. You do have to pass the background checks. There is a waiting period. So there are all those um, components that you have to go through before you get a gun. But it's kind of hard to... So a regular, like an everyday normal person, as an everyday normal person in Russia, I would never have thought of owning a gun. Right. I've never have thought it is my right or my desire to own a gun, but there is definitely opportunities to bypass the laws in Russia, which ben? in Germany is different. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I would say the biggest difference is that um, you don't have this constitutional right to bear arms initially. So I, the overall atmosphere of when you grow up puts much less emphasis on guns in general. Right. Um, I would say most people are who are hunters have guns. People who are in the sports clubs or firearm clubs have guns. Um, but what I have noticed uh, is that if you have a gun, uh, everybody knows that this is a dangerous tool. Right. And you don't want to have this laying around anywhere. So regulations, again, are quite high in terms of how to store them. Uh, for example, you have to store them mostly in a safe if you have the gun at home. Right. And you're not supposed to, for example, have the ammunition with the gun at the same in the same place. So just to prevent, again, if somebody gets to your gun, they just can't re use it on you or whatever is going on at, at that time. Have you started, with, with this part of the research, have you started to hear from people about it and about the data that you're bringing forward? Because obviously in what we're seeing mm -hmm. in that national debate right now, we have a lot of people that are very interested in this. And I would think this would be uh, research that would draw the attention of a lot of people as it gets out even, even more. It does a little bit. Uh, I think it's still complicated just by the fact, um, I would say like most researchers who are interested in this topic like to have a good comparison group when they do this. And the problem with Australia was that it was a national law that impacted everyone at the same time. Right. So the big debate has been like, who do you compare this to? There's no really good comparison groups in terms of other countries around it, right? Um, or the, countries around the world. Exactly, so, yeah. yes. Um, so, so it's always been this debate, um, you know, if we don't know how to compare it, what it's really, really hard to understand what the effect actually is. And there have been attempts to do this, but they mostly focus actually on Australia, which we do too. Um, yeah, but so it's a, hopefully more researchers come forward to, um, to see what we have uh, proposed and, and done, and, and maybe think of new ways to to verify the results that we found. Elena, yeah, um, I agree. I mean, it's, Australia is quite a special case because. I think just based on the geographic location and the way how they're isolated from other countries, I think the gun regulations there had a better opportunity to succeed yeah. they, than they might in countries that are not isolated from other countries. So it is tough. And I mean, it is kind of, it's hard to bring the same lessons to, for example, the case of the United States, since the United States is not like... Australia, yeah, with a lot of respect. Again, you have the constitutional right. Then yes. you also have uh, what I think a lot of people would uh, uh, freely admit is the potential for a large black market, which obviously mm -hmm. is is a huge component here, and that, that's something that a lot of people here in the United States have talked about. So, how do you, in terms of doing the research, how do you, how do you factor in the the, the potential use of a black market in terms of the research that you're doing, or can you? It's really hard to do. Um, in our case, we can't really factor it in directly. Um, 
on the one hand, we rely on evidence from actually Australian researchers who document um, the existence or non-existence of the black market in right. Australia. Um, and what we've read from those people is that in most cases, there was a relatively small black market to begin with before the law passed. Right. Um, and given the, the immediate nature of the law, it was really, really hard for a black market to actually develop in such a short time frame, especially because you have to think about a level of logistical constraints um, that they would have to take in consideration. For example, where would they now import guns from? All these different aspects that they never had to think about because um, they could just operate within Australia before. Also, I think the fact that Australia had a buyback program for the guns where they reimbursed people not only for newly illegal guns, but also the people could sell their legal guns if they wanted to. I think that also helped uh, preventing the formation of the black market because you didn't just have to surrender your gun. Right. You were at least compensated how, for that. How I, I would think that in terms of that one event being mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a changing point back in 1996, the data, especially now moving forward from 96 to now, mm-hmm. They are incredibly wary of keeping an eye on the data just to to see the impact of this law, whereas potentially before 1996 happened, there may not have been a a big focus on that particular issue prior to that, correct? Um, To some degree, there were some states who actually already legislated some firearm restrictions. Within Australia? Within Australia. Okay. Um, Overall, though, the nice thing is that... um, as as we talked about earlier, the data is collected at the national level from the Australian government, the uh, Australian government of or Bureau of Statistics. Yeah. Um, and, and they just collect a bunch of information on not really having a focus on firearm-related uh, mortality, but that's a small component of it, of the all overall task. So I think you could compare this to some degree maybe to the Census Bureau in the U.S. Okay. Who collect, collect a bunch of information and they're just interested in collecting um, and potentially giving it, of course, to researchers to evaluate different programs, but they could have not known that, for example, this law would, uh, would have been passed in the first place. So, Right, yeah. plus I also, and I, again, that's just a speculation, but I have a feeling that um, based on how news, for example, in the United States or the West, rest of the world react every time a tragic event, um, like a shooting, happens, yeah. um, Australia is almost, you know, how here you call states laboratories of democracy and new laws, when it comes to modern gun regulation, Australia is kind of like a laboratory, an experiment that happened for what happens when you pass national comprehensive gun reforms. So I think with that respect, I feel like Australia understands the importance of their law for the rest of the world. Where does the research take you guys next? Now, you say you're working on a, on a paper currently, correct? correct. Right? That, that is correct. Um, just we're trying to, we actually had to collect a little bit more data um, than what we used in the other study, where we actually dig down to uh, understanding at the state level uh, how and, and, and where, in essence, where the firearm mortality uh, occurring. Um, so here we're looking at the different states and, and then trying to understand the impact. Well, h- how would the effect of this law uh, relate, for example, to the level of firearm mortality within each of the Australian states? And, um, that, and that involves probably dealing with a variety of, of social 
issues. Exactly. In terms of well. the demographics mm-hmm. of the people, the age of the people, uh, you know, the, the the probably the income of the people in a particular state compared to, Correct. to other ones as well. Exactly. We collect all those information again from the Australian Bureau of Statistics trying to uh, get as much information as we can in terms of train changes in demographics across time uh, to account for potential differences that might may affect, for example, just having a drop in fire mortality just because the population is aging. Well, and I was going to say, yeah. we talk a lot on this show about the difference between the baby boomer generation and the millennial generation. There's probably an element of that in the data in terms of Australia between one age group, and obviously we're talking about a period of what, 30 years or so, and mm-hmm. what the impact is 30 years later with a different group of people. Exactly. And um, in Australia, if you look at the long-term trend of fire mortality, you could actually see that there were some um, signs of decline even before the 1996 law. Okay. And I the important thing now is to actually identify the effects of the law itself right. outside of the general decrease in the fire mortality that has been happening in Australia even before 1996. So that's the objective now. Can we actually isolate the effect of the law yeah. on the mortality as opposed to just general decreases in the trend? Great meeting you both. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for coming in and wish you all the best with the future research. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you. much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.